This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you and the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Paul, how's it going? It's going well, man. It's Diwali this weekend for the Hindu Sikh Jain community. That's like our version of, I guess you could say, Christmas or you know, it's the biggest holiday of the year. It's the Hindu Festival of Lights, commemorate victory of evil over darkness, good over evil, knowledge over ignorance. It's like several days. Usually it's five days, but the peak is going to be this weekend, today and tomorrow. So there's a lot of events in New York City. Are you attending these events? Yeah. I'm, the plan is to go to one. It's it's The weather is good. There's an outdoor event on the Upper East Side. We're going to check it out. I think there's like some dancing and stuff. I mean, we're not decorating the house. It's just too much work. But Diwali's really becoming much more high profile, certainly for me. I know last year, President Biden had a big celebration at the White House. I had a couple of friends and contacts that went there. Eric Adams does a party at Gracie Mansion now. Cool. And, you know, it's and you'll even see it in stores like certain retail stores are now starting to sell Diwali inspired merch a because big population, big and, and relatively affluent population. I think yeah. the median household income for the South Asian population, and we discussed this last year, too, is, is like much higher than the overall median. I think it, it could be 80% higher. So it's a lot of people that want to like, you know, they're walking the stores. They say, oh, wow, Diwali themed plates and cups. I got to buy these. So yeah, yeah. let's um, let's party. Well, that sounds great, man. Happy Diwali. Thank you. Well, you know who's not having a happy Diwali, I'd say, uh, shifting gears a bit. But if we want to get into what's going on with Marvel, new Marvel movie coming out, The Marvels starring... Brie Larson, obviously it is a sequel to the 2019 Captain Marvel. Man, the estimates right now, I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, the numbers will be out, but really poor showing already for a Thursday night open. It was 6.5 million, which is the lowest in their history. As a, a, a comparison, uh, Cap- Well, lowest in the history of, of, the, of, of like the MCU. Disney. MCU, yes, sorry, specifically MCU. Um, but in comparison, Cap- Well, no, I mean- it's probably not lower than like Hulk, right? For Thursday, because well, those only started at midnight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I think The Incredible Hulk actually was the lowest opening weekend to date with 55.4 million. 
they're saying that the Marvels originally had was tracking seventy-five to eighty million dollar open, and now it's tracking a forty-seven to fifty-two, fifty-five million dollar open. The Thursday night opening was wasn't great in comparison to Captain Marvel's Thursday night opening, which was actually pretty decent, around twenty point seven. So it's six point six million compared to twenty point seven. I think there's a lot of reasons for this. Have you seen it? I, you know what? I didn't even move off my seat to even open up Fandango to see when it was playing. As someone who watches a lot of movies and especially the MCU movies, I just don't care. And it's not, it's also the reviews weren't great, right? So 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience score was better. It's a third worst rated on Rotten Tomatoes. To be fair, the, the ones below that are Quantum Mania and The Eternals were both pretty bad movies. But I just don't like care anymore. I just don't like after being so disappointed. I tried to watch Loki. It's I, I just kept turning it off. Like I just don't care. I just feel like it's gonna be not a great movie. And I think that's what most fans feel. Like they're just like, yeah, we don't really care. This is not really up our alley. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough, tough showing for the Marvels, uh, especially because it, I think with it didn't test well, no. and I think they had to spend a bunch of money to sort of redo Re it. Yeah, reshoots, and, and you know it was like delayed by the pandemic, and obviously they weren't able to get the stars out to promote because of uh, the strike, which recently ended. So yeah. they did do a little last minute promotion, but I I hear it cost in the neighborhood of two seventy. Yeah, it's expensive. and so if it grosses like less than a hundred, I mean that's a pretty big miss uh, yeah, for Marvel. Yeah. And I don't even think, I understand like the SAG angle of it and not being able to have your stars promote, but I don't even think they promoted it, period. Like, I, I just think Disney was like, we're already so far in the hole on this. We're not going to spend another 50 million marketing this because it's just not going to produce. I think you're right. I think that's actually a really good observation. Like I've seen trailers here and there. Look, I, I like Captain Marvel in the whole Avengers thing. Not to get too nerdy about this, but like I didn't, I don't really care for that, this whole part of the story. And I think I, I just feel like I'm going to be disappointed. And I think most people feel this way now. Like, I don't think anyone like this whole Kang storyline has been a bit disappointing. It hasn't like gotten off to a bang. When we think about like the Infinity War saga, there are just bangers. So at least you cared about you know, Thanos and you cared about where it was going. I don't think, I think everyone's been so disappointed with how this thing has taken off. So everyone's just kind of confused. Like, do we really want to go spend money watching this when we know we're going to be disappointed? And I think that's generally seems to be the narrative around the MCU right now. It's been like that for the last, I, I would say what, at least the last year it's felt that way that people are just a bit disappointed. Oh man. I mean, listen, I think um, as a fan, I think, I was working at Marvel when Disney bought Marvel and there was rumors that it was like, oh, is Disney going to sort of like destroy the creative engine that made Marvel great as they have a tendency to have just too many cooks in the kitchen, too many studio execs making decisions and pushing things in and out. I don't know that this is what happened here because to be in Marvel's defense, like no studio has 33 hits in a row. Like, yeah, that just yeah, doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, so enough. there is some reversion to the mean in any sort of entertainment property or any entertainment business is going to have some hits and some misses. So that's just par for the course. But 
I mean, I think, and we've talked about this and it's widely discussed, milking Marvel to grow Disney Plus and constantly putting out shows that people have to watch yes. to be able to understand yes. the movies. Yes. I think that's going to result in fatigue. The team was overworked. The VFX level of quality sort of slipped because that's the final stop, right? Like if there's a, if there's a flip in the creative or if someone wants to change something and the script is already written and it's 90% shot, really all you can do is try to fix it the best you can in VFX. And that unreasonable expectations on your VFX folks. You know, so the production timelines, the amount of content that they were creating, the characters moving on from the core leading talent, the Robert Downey, Chris Evans, yep. Scarlett Johansson, like there's a lot of factors that I think are at play. Yeah, yeah. And I think if they kept the cadence where what it was, like one or two movies a year, maybe we wouldn't have noticed as much. But when it's like in your face all the time, I think people are starting to get a little frustrated, as you said. But- Adjusting for inflation, less than Hulk, Man. which came out in 2008. Which I actually liked, by not, the way. <laughs> like I, I actually liked Hulk. Yeah. I liked Hulk a lot. You yeah. know, the Ed was, Norton Hulk, I thought, was unfairly maligned. I 100% agree. I've seen it so many times. Yeah, it's a good... It's Yeah, listen, it was well cast. It's entertaining. Liv Tyler. Who's the guy played General Ross? William Hurt? William Hurt. And then, and then um, it, you had... You had uh, Tim Roth. Tim Roth. Great villain. Great villain. Obviously from Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it, it it was still a decent movie. Like, it was entertaining. It wasn't complicated. It's like, this is the story. And I think everything's gotten a bit complicated now because it how does it fit into the whole universe? And if you think about it, the movies that haven't had to do that in recent time have actually done well. Black Panther 2. It was just a continuation of the Black Panther story. Did very well. People liked that franchise. And if you think about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, that did well in that like that storyline. It was an, it was a great movie. That was a year ago. And so when you when you look at like Ant-Man and, and Quantumania, I mean, I went to go see that movie. That movie was pretty bad. I had no idea what was going on. Didn't really care about Kang. This is the whole new storyline. So I think we just want like the big hits. Like just give us the big hits and and maybe we'll be fine. Looking back, I still I know it's 10 years old. I put Cap Winter Soldier as number one in my I mean, Endgame I thought was great. Avengers, Infinity War, less so for me. But I think there's a lot of fluff in there. I love Thor, um, Love and Thunder, but recently it's just been things that I think you can skip. You like Thor, Love and Thunder? Hmm. Or did Ragnarok? Because Thor, Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I meant Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Thor, Love Let's and Thunder that was. <laughs> I like Thor, Ragnarok. Thor yeah. 3, I yes. thought was great. Ragnarok was amazing. Probably the best Thor. Best Thor. And I would say Love and Thunder was like. I would say worse than the second Thor, which was also pretty bad. So, which is actually Jessica's favorite. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you know, to Dark each his own. Yeah. But yeah, look, and I think the blame on you know the strike and not being able to promote. Everybody knows this movie's coming out. At any chance, you know that the Marvels is coming out. Uh, just as comparison, I think it was the weekend before, two weekends before that, you had Blumhouse Productions had their. Five Nights at Freddy's, which is a, a horror movie based on this video game that had an $80 million opening. And it's simulcast on Peacock. Yeah. So people clearly are hungry to watch stuff. What is the stuff to watch? That's, I think, the unclear part. Well, I don't, you know, 
that's a fan. I don't know that Captain Marvel was that great, but it still made a billion dollars. It did, and I think it was because of the way one. I think we were still following Endgame. The, the following Endgame, you needed to potentially watch it to see what happened. It was a nice like end credit scene in um, Infinity War that led to it. But also, I think we were like less fatigued back then. Like they're still putting out bangers, so you're like, yeah, Captain Marvel sounds cool. Oh, yeah. Like I introduction mean- of a new character. After Endgame, I would have seen any movie. That <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I would have watched I Love and Thunder. Fix. But yeah, we'll see. You know, I, I think I read something that like Echo that's going to be coming out as a standalone show. They're trying to make the shows not dependent on you having to watch anything else. And look, I think it's just make good shows, um, make good shows and make good movies. And if it has to be less, that's fine. I mean. Next year, there's only one movie slated for release, which we'll get into after uh, one Marvel movie. Um, But we'll get into that after the break. So actually, let's take a quick break and come back with the resolution of the SAG strike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Mesh, biggest story probably in a long time in the entertainment world is after 118 days, SAG on late Wednesday night agreed to a tentative deal with the AMPTP ending the, I think, the longest strike in SAG's history. SAG, for those that don't know, has uh, 160,000 members. Yesterday, or say Friday, 86% of the SAG board voted to approve the terms of the tentative agreement. And now it will be submitted to the 160,000 members to vote on and ratify it. And effective Thursday morning, after the negotiating committee approved the deal, they ended the strike. So what that means is a month ago, the WGA ended their strike, which was similarly five or six months. So effectively, no content was really being made, or the vast majority of SAG content requiring WGA writers and SAG actors basically stopped. Some things stopped in pre-production, some things stopped in development, some things stopped in the middle of shooting, and some things stopped in post, and no one was able to promote anything for yeah. like five or six months, which is something that we haven't really seen in since, I don't know, 40 years. The negotiating team at SAG is patting themselves on the back, saying they got a great deal, and production is going to start ramping up. I think people who are in the business, who are doing, you know, who are working in production, business affairs on the studio side, on the talent side... They're working nonstop now to sort of make up for lost time. I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's just going to be crazy to get everything going again, and that's going to take some time. Like that's not like, hey, everyone, let's start, let's go day one. I mean, there's probably so much logistics and organization and approvals need to be done to get things into production in the first place, right? So if you think about it, so many things are contingent on the big stars, and so you have to coordinate their schedules. And for pre-production, you don't necessarily need the big stars there all the time. But when you're shooting and they're, all, you know, if they're filming in a specific amount of days, you need them 
to have the production going. So if you have big talent that's shooting and you're in the middle of production, you need to work around their schedule. The other thing is promotion is really important. So for something like Dune 2, you know, if you're Timothy Chalamet or Wonka, like maybe you'd rather be out there promoting those movies that are coming out in a month or a couple months rather than shooting something. So, well, I feel like I get Timothy got lucky just because, you know, the two things that are coming out, he's going to be on SNL. It seems like he, they kind of knew that maybe moving into it. I don't know if it was all planned. I mean, I think there's been a lot of people that suffered, were out of work for a long time, but how did HBO know a week ago when all these things, like when they announced when all these shows were going to resume or come out, like yeah. they did. How did they know that? So it seems like the AMPTP, if you're them, they didn't lose a ton of subs, subscribers to their streaming platforms over the course of the summer. Surprisingly, they didn't. Actually, Bob Iger said the losses were negligible, but if the strike had gone on much longer, they could have been significant. But basically, they're going to keep next summer's slate. They had a backlog of content. They didn't lose that many subs. And they eventually agreed to what SAG was asking, or some modified version of what SAG was asking for. And they all saved like billions by not making right. anything for a couple months. Right. So it is a little bit weird that they knew, or it seems like the timing is, I don't know, like everyone from both sides, like SAG clearly wanted to get a deal done, but the AMPTP, I think, finally moved towards the middle this past week, they sent their last best and final offer Wednesday night. And that ultimately, I guess, with a few tweaks is what was approved. But I felt like they were thinking, if this thing goes any longer, there's going to be significant consequences. And so, like, right now, they probably waited till they felt like they couldn't wait any longer. Yeah, I mean, it seems like on both sides, it was like on the streaming side, it's like, yeah, we can probably handle this till the end of fall. But then it's real. People are going to really start noticing that there's not much out there. Like I kind of felt that way. Like just as a consumer, I'm like, there's stuff to watch. But I'm kind of like I was like, there's stuff to watch. But I haven't really, I hadn't really felt that. Oh my god, everything's gone. Like I'm just watching reruns now. But it, it felt like I we were close to getting there. So to your point about timing, it seems like this was you know enough for them to like milk what they had already in production or, or already done and then make sure that they save stuff for the summer that they can get done before summer, but also like clean up their balance sheets. Right. And, and to be clear, they did have to push a lot of stuff, yes, right? Yes. Like, like they had to push a lot of projects. So there was damage and AMC's CEO, Adam Aaron said, Hey, listen, I mean, we had a solid year. Our revenue was up 45% over the prior year. And, you know, thanks to Barbenheimer and the Taylor Swift movie, but like the pipeline's a little thin. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, going forward. And they're nervous about that. They're thinking about, are we going to do more concert films, which don't have 18-month lead times? Are we going to do more live sports in our theaters? Because they got to, they've still got to make rent. They've still got to cover their fixed costs. uh, And there aren't going to, there's only one Marvel movie next year. So there's going to be consequences, but I, I don't know if the studios felt them as much as the ancillary businesses and the talent, right? But SAG, and let's discuss what they got, yeah. right? So they're touting it as a billion-dollar increase, which if you do the math, 160,000 members, that only works out to like $7,000 a member, yeah. which doesn't seem like that much if you do the division. But they got 7% increase in minimum compensation this year, effective on ratification, another 4% next July, and a 3.5% the following July. Background actors got an 11% bump this year and then four and then three and a half. 
So they are getting increases in compensation, which more or less track inflation, but still the, the, the largest they've ever gotten. Yeah. And so that's sort of, they're defining that as paradigm or paradigmatic. They're increasing the caps on pension, health, and welfare contributions. So just so you know, right, when if you're a SAG studio, if you're in the AMPTP and you hire someone, you have to gross up their comp for pension, health, and welfare contributions. Now, there is a cap on that. So it's like an extra 20%. And there's a cap usually. What they did is they increased the cap. So that money doesn't go to the talent. It goes to this fund that funds everyone's pension, health, and welfare. And from what I understand, the increases were pretty high, right? It was like a 43% increase for one-hour productions and a 67% increase for 30-minute productions. I, I mean, the numbers sound high. I don't know how that actually is reflected, but I mean, it just sounds like a significant increase. It does. I mean, so if you're at the cap, right, the cap is is what it is. What that does, that helps the people who aren't earning near the cap, right? Because that goes to a fund that funds the pension, health, and welfare for everyone. And so, you know, you have to meet a certain amount of earnings per year to qualify, but it is good. It seems significant. But then again, if you figure that we've been in a 7 to 8% inflation environment for the better part of a year yeah, yeah, yeah. or two years, then maybe all you're doing is keeping up with the cost of living. One of the things they got, they're defining it as groundbreaking protections on AI. Really, the and the, the final details haven't been released, but what Fran Drescher described it as, every studio is going to need the informed consent of any actor, whether it's principal, background, whatever, prior to recreating their likeness digitally using AI, generative AI, what have you. So informed consent before someone's likeness can be recreated, which I think is good, but the devil's in the details there. Because if you're an actor and the studio just adds some sentence to your 30-page agreement that says, oh, by the way, you are consenting to us doing (laughs) this with your likeness, and it's in something that you sign and your lawyer looks at it and you're desperate to sign because you haven't worked in six months, then I don't know how much it changes things at the end of the day, but it does give you the bite of the apple to say that they have the studio has to ask for it, they have to update their form, they have to negotiate it. I don't know if there's any specific minimum compensation that needs to be paid, but in other contexts, there's this thing called a reuse fee, which is if you show up and you film a movie or a TV show and then they use that footage in another work, they have to pay you a certain amount, either you have to negotiate for for that extra use and pay you something, even if you don't show up for the next project, or if they don't negotiate with you, there's some penalty fee that they have to pay. So I don't know if, if that is factored in here or if it's just a consent right, but if it's a consent right and you have leverage, then you can say, well, I'll only consent if you pay me X, right? So I mean, but that just seems like something that was just dated from before anyways, because like that doesn't even have to be AI related, right? That could be like CGI related or it could just be them reusing footage. It's just reusing, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's something that was basically like if you've, if you're in a franchise and they don't hire you for the sequel, they can't use you in the sequel from what you did yeah. in the first movie. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Without paying you. Got it. You know, obviously the studios are sophisticated. I'm sure all the business affairs teams are going through the new agreement and just updating what they need to update, right? In terms of minimum compensation and the forms and everything, because they need to get back to work. But, you know, let's just go through some of the numbers. So California said that the strike had a $6 billion impact yeah. uh, because it's not only. The, the lack of productions, but it's also the ancillary businesses like the prop houses, the equipment, the the companies that sell like sure. you know wardrobe, hair, makeup, yeah. all that stuff. They didn't do anything for catering, catering, lighting, grip. New York City has announced that 
200,000 New Yorkers are going to go back to work as a result of the resumption of film and TV. And that seems like a fair number. I think it's like, a you know, between Sounds like a 180 and 200,000 people in film and TV. And they say a film and TV is $82 billion a year industry in New York. Really? Seems very high. That seems or at least that's what it was high. in 2019. In 2019, wow. that's okay. what it was. I'm trying to even think like, like, is that, I'm trying to even, is that just anything that's made in New York? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to get more details on that. Does that include like news and right, talk right, shows right, and right. everything? Or is it just SAG talent? Right. 82 would be, I think, high if it were just SAG talent because it sounds like that would be more than the content spend for Netflix, Disney, yeah. Warner Brothers yeah. like combined. Yeah. But certainly there's a lot. If, if you add all of media, there's a ton of film, TV, news happening in New York, the, the talk shows and everything else. But 80, I, don't, I would like to see how the mayor's office came up with that number. There's some other ancillary wins. The streaming participation bonus. I was we about to say, this. yeah, that's what I was about to uh, ask you about. Because, I mean, that seemed to be one of the big, big components here because things hadn't been really adjusted for the streaming services. This actually dates back to, remember when Scarlett Johansson had such a big issue with releasing one of her movies on streaming versus in Black, theaters? Black Widow. Black Widow during the, the, the pandemic because she felt like she wasn't going to get compensated appropriately. So this seemed to be like a big win for them. Yeah, I mean, win for sure, whether it's big. I mean, so a win. essentially what's happening, and so for the past 12, 13 years, streaming residuals are a fraction of what network residuals were. So like in a typical streaming show, you might get $2,000 a year in residual payments. Whereas if it were a network show, you could get 3,600 every time an episode was rerun. Yep. So last week we talked about how the Friends actors are making $20 million yeah, a year yeah, in residuals. Yeah. On streaming, it would be a fraction of that, less than a percent, right? So that was the economic model for streaming. It was new media. It was experimental for a long time. Now it's here to stay. So the success fee is coming back, right? But what streaming had always said is, we're taking the upside and paying you more up front. Yes. But the question is whether they were actually paying more. Or maybe they were for a little bit, but the upside was going to the streaming companies, not necessarily the talent. Uh, so Fran Drescher said, we want 2%. The, their initial uh, ask was 2% of all streaming revenue to go to the actors. The studio said no, unworkable. Then they said something like $500 million, also unworkable. So now where they landed is there is a fund that the streaming companies are going to pay into, which is basically, it, the math is a little wonky, but if you're on a show that is watched by 20% of the subscriber base for a streamer, okay. then the actors on that show, then, then there's a bonus of 100% of the residual base that goes into this fund. 75% of that go to the actors on the show. 25% go to a, you know all the actors on any streaming show. So the estimate is that this is going to be about a $40 million fund annually. So not $500 million, not a percentage that sound of like streaming that much, though. revenue. 120 million. I mean, it's better than nothing, but yeah. it's it's not that that much. But it's, not it's also money. something the streamers. Agree. <laughs> it's not friends' money. No, but it's better than what they were getting. Yeah. And SAG is saying, well, in three years they get another bite at the apple. They're going to try to increase that fund. But right. basically, what they're this is their first ever success fee. Yep. In yep. streaming, so they view it as seminal in that regard. Yeah, and I and I guess we'll we'll continue to hear more about. I'm I'm more I'm really curious to see how 
some of the AI stuff got resolved. But let's take a quick break and let's get back and we'll talk about how the studios and the upcoming launches of new film TV are going to be handling this. So, Paul, now we think about what's going to happen post-deal. And obviously, in this time period, what has happened is that a lot of studios have reduced content spend. So, I mean, Bob Iger said that Disney reduced content spend down. It, it reduced it by $2 billion. Netflix also reduced theirs by $1 billion. And there seems to be just more cash flow among studios. But to your point earlier, you know, it takes it takes some time to get things going again. There's a lot of obviously movies and TV shows that need to come out. Production needs to go back in. People need to get their summer schedule going. What's going to be happening now? So let's go macro micro. So macro, you and I are going to be paying more for all our subscription services. Like the prices <laughs> are going to go up. Um, they've already been going up. Yeah, I yeah. think Netflix now, if you have the best plans, like 24 bucks, that's all going to go up. Fewer things are going to be greenlit moving forward because the cost to make everything is going to be higher. But that's big picture. Right now, what's happening is people are working nonstop to get things moving. So if you think about it, there's like, let's say four phases. There's like development, which is casting, doing scripts, getting things off the ground. That is one phase. Then there's pre-production, which is something's been greenlit, but you haven't started shooting. That you know, everything's already been cast. You're going to still be working on scripts, but basically you have the script. It's been approved. You're going to be tweaking it. That's pre-production. Then there's production, which is you're actively shooting. And then there's post and sort of promotion. So various projects stopped literally when the strike happened in one of those four phases. Certain certain things stopped in development. Certain things stopped in pre-production. Certain things like Deadpool 3 stopped in the middle of production. And then other things just were finished, but they weren't able to be promoted or they stopped in post. So there's a lot. There's probably, I don't know, a dozen major projects, film and TV, that are going to start immediately. And then there's got to be, there's a tons and tons of smaller projects that may just get killed because they can't get their main stars to, to focus on them now. But let's talk about Gladiator 2. Oh my God, I totally forgot about that one. Gladiator 1 came out like in 2000, I think. And so oh, Gladiator shit. 2 was going to be a delay, but I think that'll probably come out next year. Deadpool 3 was halfway through production and they're going to resume. So that's Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, yeah. Mortal Kombat 2. Oh, okay. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning 2. Part 2, yeah. So they were in the end of filming, but they had to do the last scene, which is critical to the whole movie. Yeah. They were 90% done production and they're going to finish the last scene, get everyone together. Oh my God. So they, they couldn't finish the last scene. No. I'm going to be paying attention to Tom Cruise's hair. Um, I want to make sure that they got that right. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can just yeah. tell with a little bit of a haircut. <laughs> well, obviously there's going to be a lot on, on getting that right. Uh, Venom 3, Spider-Man yep. Beyond the Spider-Verse, White Lotus, we talked about Stranger Things, Wicked, Beetlejuice 2. These are all things that are going to resume now that the actors have the go-ahead. And so, like I said, if if you are in business affairs or casting or talent or an agent, you're working nonstop, nonstop around the clock right now because you've got to coordinate schedules. you got to get people... Coordinate travel, get deals done, maybe increase things, give people, if someone was on suspension, you're going to end the suspension, you're going to get them back to work. 
You got to figure out where you're shooting and when because it's it's just a mad dash to get things rolling again. And like I said, most of these things are have already been pushed a year. Marvel, what's the only I think the only movie coming out next year is Deadpool 3 is the only Disney MCU film to arrive in 2024. Captain America, Brave New World, which was supposed to come out summer of 2024, and Thunderbolts, which was supposed to come out in December 2024, have now both been pushed to 2025. So there's only one Marvel movie next year. Obviously, Dune 2 got pushed to next March. Wonka is coming out in December, so Timothy Chalamet can promote it. As far as TV is concerned, I mean, I think they're going to start maybe as soon as Thanksgiving on Abbott Elementary, The Rookie, Grey's Anatomy, because they want to have stuff ready to go for next year. But the end of this year is going to be super light. Yeah, actually, now we were talking about, we were talking in the beginning, like we won't notice it. We're definitely going to notice it. I mean, we're really going to notice it in 2024, I feel like. I'm just looking at this release schedule from just Disney alone. And besides the MCU movies, obviously Blade is now 2025, Fantastic Four, 2025. Disney's Lion King spinoff, Mufasa, has been shifted to mid-2024, maybe end of 2024. Yeah, there's a lot of Inside stuff. Inside Out is next year. Yeah, it's just Inside Out too. In, oh, I didn't realize they're making it Inside Out too. So yeah, things are going to be pretty light for the beginning of 2024. It seems. You know, Better Call Paul didn't take a hiatus. No, we did not. But hopefully, we'll have stuff to report on when it comes to film and TV in the next few months. If there's nothing really coming out. Well, we will. We will because, like again, as far as the entertainment ecosystem goes, there's still. There's sports, there's news, there's music, there's um, all kinds of things other than film and TV. So yes, film and TV, there's this huge backlog and things are going to be going a mile a minute to sort of catch up, but we'll be here to cover it for sure. Yeah, and I and I think it's nice to know because like I think there's going to be a lot of really great films that are going to be coming out that, that are not just the big blockbuster stuff. Obviously, you know, folks like A24 and production houses like that, uh, I'm excited about. I'm actually, you know, randomly enough, I'm, I'm excited to watch The Killer, which is, um, I think, just got released on Netflix, which is uh, David Fincher's new movie with Michael Fassbender. So there's some things here and there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just been some some allegations against Michael Fassbender maybe like 10 or 15 years ago about him, um, domestic violence. And, and so I think that's kind of alienated some, some of his audience. Yeah. He was great in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And X-Men First Class. Uh, right, right. And I, and I think, I mean, look, it, it's important to highlight that there is um, an article here uh, in BuzzFeed, disturbing domestic abuse allegations against Michael Fassbender have resurfaced online after the trailer for his new movie dropped. Sunawan Andrews accuses her of physically abusing her in 2010 with the alleged incidents detailed in legal filings. Um, so that's very unfortunate. But uh, we'll see how that gets, uh, if people watch the movie or not based on that. But, you know, that's not, that's not good. Well, you know, regardless of that, hopefully we'll have other stuff to watch and plenty to report on. Um, like I said, I'm excited. Well, yeah, I mean, it's good news, right? If the SAG, if the SAG strike went through the year, I mean, it would have been... Like we would have been talking about 25, 26, you know, release dates, yeah. which are not good. Not good at all. But surprisingly, I didn't cancel any of my subscription services. So neither have I. This Maybe is probably I because have. I forget now it's too late. what I have. So we'll see. I'm right now on a, I'm still on my friend's binge, but hopefully we'll have some new stuff to watch. But until then, we'll keep reporting what's going on as we hear more about the SAG deal. And we'll be reporting more as we learn more about studios releasing production schedules so good breakdown today paul hope everyone has a great week and make sure you subscribe to the podcast apple spotify wherever you choose to listen 
Follow us on Better Call Paul the Podcast on Instagram and TikTok and follow me on Twitter at Meshlikani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>